On this episode of Game 7, something a little different. It's the divisional round of the National Football League playoffs, and we were fortunate enough to have WEEI Patriots beat reporter Ryan Hannibal join the show. Ryan's going to talk to us about the Patriots' upcoming divisional round game against the Los Angeles Chargers. I still want to call them San Diego. But before we talk about that with him, Ryan takes us inside the life of a beat reporter, gives us his history of how he was able to become a beat reporter for the New England Patriots and at WEEI. We talk about challenges that he's facing in journalism, social media, and in particular, challenges faced with covering a team as both popular and notorious as the New England Patriots, who garner uh, attention from not only um, a mass amount of beat reporters, but also a massive amount of national media as well. In fact, Ryan tells us the Patriots generally have more beat reporters on some road games than the home teams do. So it's a very interesting conversation, a little bit shorter episode. Uh, If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and click the subscribe button. We hope you enjoy this lighter-hearted episode of Game 7. Go Patriots! All right, uh, welcome Ryan Hannibal to the podcast tonight, Patriots beat reporter for WEEI out of Boston. Ryan, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing well, man. I think you... uh, you told me before we started recording that you're heading back from Gillette. I am. I am. Another busy day down there. Playoff <laughs> week. Always exciting stuff. A lot of, uh, as you can imagine, the players were always willing to talk to us to give us a lot of stuff for our stories. But no, it's it's always good yeah. to, co- to cover a playoff game. Exciting stuff. And I think, you know, covering the Patriots Chargers game this week, there's a lot of storylines there. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a good matchup. And that should be a good game on Sunday. Yeah, and we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Pats. We're going to talk a lot about the playoff game and I think a little bit, too, about covering the Patriots in general. I know from following the Pats, it can be a difficult uh, task <laughs> getting quotes out of Gillette. Yes. But, but for for purposes of the beginning of this, um, you know, my audience is a lot of business people, people that are interested in how individuals got to be successful in their careers. Talk a little bit about how you um, how you became a, a beat reporter for the Pats and sort of how you got there. Yeah, so, I mean, everybody sort of has their own unique little story to where they got what they are, you know, in the media. It's not, you know, the, the usual path, so to speak, that most people take. I mean, there's just not a lot of jobs out there. So I guess it started in college. That's sort of when I knew that, that I wanted to go into this field, and I worked for my school paper. I was sports editor and then editor-in-chief, and, over the summer, going into my senior year, I interned with WEEI.com, um, just doing really basic, you know, small articles, helping out here and there. I went to a couple of Red Sox games, nothing that big, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Um, through college, you know, when I graduated college, I still kept in touch with the site editor, Rob Bradford. We were from the same town, we still are from the same town, so that probably helped a little bit. And I just sort of, you know, kept kept in touch and, you know, how things were going. And, you know, in the meantime, I was doing some freelance stuff with Boston Metro and small paper, but I got credentialed for the Red Sox games, which was cool. Um, so I did that for a while. And then I just kept, you know, being in touch with Rob. We have any openings, this, that. And so eventually it got to me getting down to Gillette um, just for game days, covering the Patriots, helping out there. And then that sort of morphed into going down during the week. And then that turned into, getting a part-time job, and then it just sort of grown. And so I guess basically I, I did a lot of stuff for free at the beginning, and I guess now it, it's paid off. So I guess, you know, there's re- it's a lot of persistence, a lot of 
coach, his patience. Um, but in the end, I couldn't be happier with, with what I'm doing. You know, I think it's interesting that you said you did a lot of stuff for free. I, yep. I follow, you know, a lot of different people, you know, people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, and those types of guys. And they're always preaching, you know, do stuff for free if you want to get somewhere. You know, sometimes you got to give it away a little bit and it's a bigger payoff down the road. It sounds like that worked for you. Yeah, I know that's like a big debate now with, you know, internships being for free and doing all this stuff for free. But I just feel like that's the way that it is in this field. And if you're going to go into the field, you sort of know that going in. And that's yeah. just the way that it is. I mean, the, there's not a lot of money in this field. And so I think that in turn means there's got to do some stuff for free. And I think you got to prove yourself. And yeah, sure, it sucks you know, doing stuff for free. <laughs> but Right. In the end, I mean, you're going to you know sporty events, pressure sporty events. So it's not like you're you know sitting in a cube typing up something that you don't care about. So you're doing right. some cool stuff, but at the same time, you sort of have to put in your dues to to get you know the payoff down the road. And so, for my listeners that don't probably don't understand, you know, the term beat reporter, what exactly do you do on a day to day basis? Basically, anything that comes out of the Patriots that's newsworthy. I put up on our website. So it could be Bill Belichick's press conference. It could be Tom Brady's press conference. It could be who was at practice, who was missing at practice. Um, that's just the daily stuff. And then, you know, obviously there's games every Sunday. So you, you got to do some previews for the game, you know, some key matchups for the game. During the game, you, you sort of have yeah. to have a story that goes up right after the game to recap the game. Afterwards, you talk to the players in the locker room, write what they say. And then obviously there's the bigger picture stuff and the sort of opinion stuff where, you know, there's always some storylines going on with the team. And it's up to, you know, me as a writer to find the most intriguing storylines, what people care about and, and what people are getting people riled up for that particular week. And sort of finding those sort of angles to sort of, you know, I guess, drive the conversation about the Patriots and, you know, just, you know, whatever's going on with the team, try to make it as entertaining and, and informative as possible and, and try to, know drive the conversation for me i guess our, our radio station try to try to drive drive the conversation of, of what these guys are talking about on the air for four hours i'm assuming also part of your job is to develop sources inside the organization as well yes. inside inside yeah, and out yeah yeah i missed that so i mean obviously any news the, the patriots especially they're not gonna just hand out news like it's, it's, it's paper you have to dig dig a little bit so a lot of it yeah. is Talking, talking to agents, that's a big one in the NFL is developing relationships with agents. And then obviously with the team. I mean, the Patriots are a little different because they're usually not giving away stuff, even sourcing through the team. But still, yeah. it's, not, it's not a bad thing to develop relationships with people inside the organization. But the biggest thing with the NFL is, you know, developing relationships with guys outside of organizations like agents and, you know, business managers and, and all that. Would you say that covering the Patriots is a little bit unique compared to other teams? It, it seems like it is, but I'm not, I don't know personally. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, you talk to just for, for example, like when we went on the road to Jacksonville this year, the, the Patriots media and the press box at the game in Jacksonville probably was very close to the number of guys that covered the Jacksonville team full time. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, the Jaguars probably have, you know, four five beat writers whereas the Patriots they have probably upwards of 20 beat writers and then another 15 TV people and another 10 radio people so just the number of people that are covering the team makes it you know difficult because you're competing at so many different people for all these 
you know, storylines. And, you know, everybody sort of gets the same quotes. Like, everybody talks to Bill Belichick when he speaks at the podium. So it's up to you as the writer and the reporter to sort of find a way to make your stuff unique and different and stand out yeah. compared to everybody else. And I would imagine, too, you're battling the national media because I know as a fan of the Patriots, these national articles come out all the time, usually spelling doom and gloom. Uh, most of them I just laugh off. But I would imagine for you, that's got to be a little difficult. Yeah, that, there's always that element, too. And it also, back to the reporting thing, it always seems like sometimes the national reporters are getting sometimes the scoops over opposed to the, the local beat writers. And yeah. yeah, so a lot of these big stories, you know, are written by these national outlets and writers. And yeah, that is hard to compete with because, yeah, they are at bigger platforms and have bigger reach. So sometimes they are going to get the stories, you know, leaked to them or, or get, you know, different angles and, and stuff like that. So that, that just makes it more difficult is that, you know, everybody across the country cares about the Patriots, where it's opposed to everybody across the country really doesn't care about, say, you know, the Jaguars day-to-day -day basis sure. or the fucking Buccaneers day-to-day -day basis. So you're not only competing with the local guys, but also the national guys as well. So it, it, it's challenging, but also rewarding at the same time because it makes you sort of work work harder and try to and try extra hard to get that unique stuff. And speaking of unique stuff, um, I know I read your stuff all the time. Your articles tend to be data-driven. Not every single one, obviously. I mean, you put stuff up about who's at practice yeah. and things like that, but a lot of what you write is data-driven. In, in particular, what I'm thinking about is an article you put up a few weeks ago about Brady. And, you know, maybe this decline that we're hearing about so much isn't, isn't as big as what everybody else is making it. And I think you use data from 06 and 13 to say, look, this might not be what everyone thinks it is. Um, can you talk yeah. maybe a little bit about that and sort of your use of data and how you got into that? Yeah, so, like, I guess part of what we were talking about before and how competitive the beat is, you sort of have to find your niche into what, you know, you're good at and what sort of fits, what can set you apart from everybody else that's covering the team. And so some people covering the team might be better at the X's and O's stuff and, and breaking down film and all that. They can do that. Some other people might be good at, you know, talking to players for big feature stories, and, and they go with that. And where I found myself when I first came into covering the team full time was that sort of I felt like I could come up with stats and numbers that maybe other people didn't really take the time to find and do well. And so I sort of went that route. And I think that that does add a lot of context to things, especially with football, is it's good to have, when you're making an argument, you want to have data to back it up. And I think that that's going the extra mile to sort of find numbers to back up your story can make your story that much better. And so yeah. I'm sort of always looking to find sort of numbers and stats and, and all that stuff that is different than other people to sort of make my stuff not only stand out, but also back up what I'm writing. Yeah. And I think the other thing I've noticed with you, and this is maybe even a broader question about the state of sports journalism or maybe even journalism in general, but it, it, it definitely applies to the Patriots. You don't do clickbait. And by that, I mean, I, I don't think I've read a crazy article from you ever where it's just this absurd headline um, you know, like what we hear from some, maybe some national reporters. Uh, do you do you find it difficult to sort of keep things, I guess, on the level? Because you've got these people putting out this clickbait stuff, and um, sometimes that gets the attention. Yeah, that's the thing that you kind of have to strike the balance. And I think the, the world and the, the, the field and journalism and the media and online stuff is changing because everything is driven now by page views. Like the businesses and organizations – 
you're being judged on how many pay-per-views you get because that also leads to ad revenue and, and all that that goes into it, the sales portion and everything involved in that. So everything is now is trending towards page-views and sort of the clickbait stuff obviously gets clicked on more than just a generic story, the, the boring old story about the Patriots. So you kind of yeah. have to find a balance. And I, you know, I don't want to be – nobody wants to be known as the guy that writes clickbait stuff all the time. And so I've sort of tried to find a balance in the way that you word your headline to make it, you know, seem like you should click on the story, but also it's not an outlandish, you know, headline that's totally clickbait. Yeah. Just just tell it's clickbait right by that. So you have to find a balance of what is not only going to get clicked on, but also is, you know, journalism and what what journalism really is and a really compelling story as opposed to just basically something that's written to get clicked on. Sure. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Patriots, Chargers, and uh, and what's going on. Um, one of the big things I think a lot of people are talking about, at least in my circle, <laughs> um, from the regular fan perspective, is Melvin Gordon play, not play? Is he going to be anything like what he normally is? Um, do you have any insight on that? I believe. I mean, he returned to practice today after missing yesterday. He was limited, so obviously that's a good sign for him playing, and I would imagine it would take a real lot for an NFL running back to miss a playoff game due to injury, so I would yeah. assume that he's going to be on the field, but the bigger question is how effective will he be, and he really wasn't himself when he came back to that game against the Ravens. He also injured his other knee in December, and yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't the same after that. I think I was actually looking up the numbers today. He, he averaged somewhere around five yards per carry over the course of the season. But since his injury in those three games, he's only averaging close to three yards a carry. So that's a pretty big wow. difference. So major so drop think, off. Exactly. So I think, you know, that's a huge benefit for the Patriots. If Melvin Gordon's not hundred percent, because they can then, you know, devote more of their defensive game plan towards defending the, the past game and Phil Rivers, as opposed to, to the running game of Melvin Gordon. So right. I, I think I think his status is, is a major key to what the Patriots do on defense. And any thoughts on who might draw um, Keenan Allen versus the versus uh, Williams? Yeah. Um, you know, would it be J.C. Gilmore? Like, what do you think? That's a, a discussion, and actually a big discussion. Some of the other beat writers and I were having earlier tonight before I left is what they were going to do. And yeah. to me, I, I sort of think you got to put Stephon Gilmore and Keenan Allen, and I know. Right that Allen lines up a lot out of the slot, and that isn't really where Gilmore does a lot of his work. But my thing is, you know, you paid Gilmore all that money. He's an all-pro corner. He's your best cornerback. You might as well throw him up against the opposition's best receiver because if you're going to lose the game, you might as well lose with your best against their best. And I think right. the drop-off from, from Allen to the Williamses is pretty big. It's not like it's the Steelers. We have Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a yeah. bigger drop-off. So I think you're, if you're the Patriots, you're better off putting Stephon Gilmore on Keenan Allen and then take your pick on the outside with probably, you know, you let J.C. Jackson and Jason McCordy handle the Williamses and just, you know, pick your battles there. Be, and, and, you know, I think yeah. that they can handle those guys and then take your chances with Keenan Allen and Stephon Gilmore. And certainly the Patriots are no strangers to doing different things. I mean, every game plan is a snowflake. So it really wouldn't surprise, I think, anyone if they lined up Gilmore in that slot position to deal with Allen. Yeah, and they, and they could mix it up during the game plan, game as well. They could change things up and have J.C. on him with, with safety help over the top. But I think that could be part of the game plan is mixing things up and trying to confuse Philip Rivers because he's been in the game a long time. He's seen 
15 every defense. I think part yeah. of stopping him and making things frustrating for him is confusing him. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they throw multiple multiple looks at him to try and confuse him. And speaking of the Chargers, there's been a lot of talk out there about, you know, traveling back and forth to the East Coast twice and then having to play in the cold weather. You know, any thoughts on if that's really going to matter to a team like the Chargers, um, if it'll make a difference at all? I think it does. I don't think it's a, you know, a huge difference, but I think it does. You have to consider it. I mean, I don't think so much the traveling part. I mean, these guys are, if they're not traveling commercial planes, they're traveling in these, <laughs> right. you know, team, team yeah. planes, and they're, they're, they're comfortable. But yeah. I do think it factors into, first of all, they're traveling out here tomorrow, where usually away teams travel on Saturday. So they're losing a day in sort of prep. And they also probably lost some time on the early end when they were coming back from Baltimore. So I, I think that, you know, it's not a huge thing, but their, you know, prep was limited. And then the bigger thing is the weather. And obviously the, the Chargers are practicing out in L.A. and the weather out there. They're coming out to New England where it's not going to snow, but it's going to be the temperatures are going to be in the 20s and wind chills yeah. in the teens. And when you look at the numbers, the, the Chargers haven't played in many of those games. And Philip Rivers' career, he's only played in five games that were below freezing. And he's one in four in those games. So it's a small sample size, but that's telling that Philip Rivers and the Chargers just aren't used to playing in cold weather, whereas the Patriots, they practice in every day, and it's, it's going to be nothing. Yeah. I think one of those games would have been the 07 AFC Championship, right? Well, the 08 would have been played in 08, but the 07 season. Um, yes, yes. Rivers had the, the torn ACL, the torn I think ACL, it was. exactly, yep. <laughs> Which was crazy that he even played that whole game, but um, – all right, looking at the Patriots offense, all the talk this season has been about Brady, the decline, the knee. Any any reports on the knee or at least what you've seen visually? And uh, what do you think about um, um, Tom in this game? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, the reality is that Brady did, you know, have a couple weeks in there where he didn't look himself. He, he wasn't yeah. taking the hits. He wasn't standing in the pocket. And I think you do need to acknowledge that there probably was something going on. I would not be surprised at all if he suffered a, a knee injury. I think the reports were that it happened in the Titans game. But yeah. the important thing to consider is that that injury was not like a season-ending injury. It's a four- to six-week injury. So as time has gone on, that knee has healed a little bit. I think that the bye week definitely helped him. He's coming off one of his best games of the season. I know it was against the Jets, but still it was a confidence-boosting game. And so I, I think I wouldn't say that he's fully 100 percent, but no other player in the league is 100 percent right now. I think right. The extra, the extra time off really helped him. And, you know, he plays his best when the pressure's on the most. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him take his game to a new level come the playoffs just because of what's on the line and what his history has shown in the playoffs. So I just think that he's had enough time to overcome whatever was going on with that need to, to be, you know, at or close to full strength for these right. games moving forward. And we saw in the Ravens game where the Chargers, I think, went with seven DBs. Do I have that yep. number right? Seven? Yep. Um, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to give that look to the Patriots, but um, what do you think about how the Chargers will play that? you think they'll go with the seven DBs? And if they do, um, that opens it up for New England to run the ball, correct? Yep. No, you're exactly right. I think that's sort of the bigger, that's the big part of what the Patriots are going to do. And the reason why the Chargers had to do that was they have so many injuries to their linebackers that they, they just feel like they're better off having their safety move up in the box and, and have those have those defensive backs you know, basically act as linebackers. And 
yeah. they can do that with a player like Derwin James, the rookie, who's one of the best yeah. players in the league. But at the same time, you're creating mismatches. And I think if they do do that same look to the Patriots, look for them to go to heavy sets with James Devlin as fullback, right. as Wayne Allen as a blocking tight end, and try to run the ball down the throats with, with Sony Michelle, James White, and Rex Burkett. And I think yeah. the running game is really going to be a major, major part in this game. I think that's what the Patriots are going to want to do is run the ball and play a possession game, so to speak. Like, I don't think this game is going to be played in the 30s. I think it's going to be more yeah. in the 20s. And it's going to be a lot of, you know, long, sustained drives with the Patriots most likely trying to run the ball and burn as much clock as they could. Yeah, and I think I think we saw in 2010 in the divisional round game when they played the Jets, I think that won one of the, I think the only divisional round home loss for the Patriots in this yep. run. Um, the Jets did something similar. I think they flooded the middle of the field with deep, with a lot of DBs. And isn't the Chargers defensive coordinator sort of from that group, right? Was he with the Jets then or from, part of that staff? Um, he, yeah, he has some yeah. similarities there. It's a similarity to the Seattle system, plays a lot of cover three. Mm-hmm. So that's right. something to keep an eye on. And I think that the thing that you need to look at from the Patriots is they need a guy like Rob Gronkowski or Chris Hogan to step up, that the middle of the field is going to be open. They just need to, to basically be able yeah. to contribute in the middle of the field. And we saw right. You know, over the years, Rob Gronkowski made a living on those seam routes, but he's just not the same right now, and they really haven't been asking him to do that. Right. But I think in a, in a game like this, that middle is going to be open, and if he, if he can do it, they should call it. And I think it's another thing with Chris Hogan is they couldn't move him more from the outside into the slot to run those routes over the middle because, like you said, the defense could flood the middle on the, on the rush, which therefore would open the middle of the field on the back end. I would think also might open it might open it up again to get the ball back to James White a little bit more, who's kind of been a little hit or miss over the last few weeks. I'm not entirely sure why they're they don't continue to go to him, but I would yeah. think if if the Chargers do that, that's a good opportunity for McDaniel's to go back to White. Yeah, I'm fully with you on that, and that was a big part of the game plan when they played the Chargers last year at Gillette Stadium yeah. was was have the running backs be big contributors. I think Brady was 14 or 15 something like that when he throwing to running backs for 160 yards. So that was a big part of the game plan. But to the flip side of that is I think the Chargers look back on the film and say, we got to be really bad by these running backs. We don't want that, that to happen again. So maybe they devote more of their coverage to the running backs like James White and Rex Burkhead, which then could in turn open up the field for Rob Ronkowski and Chris Hogan over the middle. Right. And I have a question on Philip Dorsett. It seems to me, and then again, I'm just a fan. Every yep. time he's in the game, he catches whatever is thrown his way. And sometimes they're not easy catches, yet he doesn't get a lot of reps. Any idea, like, what's going on there? Um, is it something with the, that he's just not favored by McDaniels, or am I just sort of missing a bigger picture here? Uh, I'm, I'm on board with you. I've been, I've been pushing for <laughs> Dorsett to play more. Yeah. And you're, not, you're, you're not lying when you say that he's literally caught everything thrown his way. <laughs> it's I think crazy. He's caught, he's caught the last 16 passes thrown his way dating back yeah. to week, week five. It's crazy. So whenever yeah. he's in the game, he makes a play, but yet he just doesn't get the reps. And I think yeah. you know, before, with when Josh Gordon was still on the team, I think it was a little bit understandable that Gordon was taking away his reps. Yes. And you could sort of see why he wasn't getting the snaps. But ever since Gordon left, you sort of, sort of assumed that Dorsett would have a bigger role. And he's had, you know, he's been in games more than he was before, but he's still not back to what we saw 
in week one and in week two and week three without Julian Edelman. And so yeah. maybe, maybe maybe he's the secret weapon in the playoffs. <laughs> I, it, it's not, I, you know, every time Tom Brady talks about Phil Dorsett, he always has positive praise from him. He loves him, said he loves him. He loves the guy, he loves the competitiveness, loves how smart he is. So I don't think it's anything along those lines. I don't know what it is. So yeah. maybe maybe he's he's their secret weapon they're saving for the playoffs because he has shown that he can make plays when he's on the field. And he, he had a huge catch in that AFC championship last year against the Jaguars. I mean, it was basically a drive-saving catch, if I remember, um, right. in that the fourth quarter. One of the most underrated plays in that game. Everybody yeah. talks about Danny Amendola's two touchdowns in the fourth but, quarter, but he wouldn't have scored those without Dorsett's right. big catch for that. That's right. Um, okay, question. Speaking of McDaniels and the staff, there's been all this talk about, um, you know, there was, a, there was a national article earlier maybe a few weeks ago saying there was going to be massive departures it doesn't look like that's happening it looks like everyone's staying intact um have you heard anything about that anything changing on that front at all i think for sure mcdaniels is back obviously the packers going a different direction and the browns leaning towards going to a different direction so those were the two teams that you connected to mcdaniels and he actually basically admitted it on the conference call with us this week that he'd be back next year Right. But the one interesting one is Brian Flores, and he interviewed with a bunch of teams last week, and three out of the four teams have filled their head coach openings, except for one, and that's the Dolphins. Dolphins. And you keep, see, you keep seeing reports that Miami's interested in him. He impressed them a lot. And to me, it's interesting that the Dolphins haven't made their hire yet, and Brian Flores' name is still out there. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk from down in Miami that he impressed in that interview last week, and... The Dolphins have poached guys from the Patriots in the past, not only players on the field like Brandon Bolden and Amendola, but they yeah. also interviewed Nick Asario a couple of years ago. So, you know, and they've seen firsthand what the Patriots have done. So it's not a surprise that they're interested in him. So I think we'll know more, you know, after this weekend with how things shake out. But I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Flores went to the Dolphins. I really wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I live in I live this this is being recorded for me in Fort Lauderdale, so I have a lot of dolphin friends. Yeah. There was a lot of debate about the gase firing. My friend my dolphin friends thought it was the greatest thing ever. I took a little bit of a different approach on that. I thought it was a mistake, frankly. I did too. Okay. <laughs> so they listen to this podcast. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I think that Adam Gase uh, I guess you could say he was screwed. I mean, yeah. he didn't have he didn't have his quarter starting quarterback Ryan Tannehill for a number of games. Yep. He, you know, he beat the Patriots twice, I think. He, yes. You know, now he's coaching the Jets when he was 5-1 and one against them. Um, I don't think he was given a fair shot. I think, you know, he had a lot of things going against him in those three years. He made the playoffs in his first year. And I was very surprised when I saw him get fired. And I know up here, Bill Belichick and the Patriots have a lot of, you know, respect for him. And that's, you know, that's high praise coming from Bill Belichick. And I also remember being down there last year. Uh, for the Monday night game, the Patriots played down there, and Tom yep. Brady talked to Adam Gase on the field a couple hours before the game for like 20 minutes, and you never see that from Tom Brady. I think oh. that just shows how much you know the Patriots organization respects Adam Gase, and I do think the Dolphins made a mistake in firing him, and I don't think he got a, a fair shot down there because of injuries and, and you know personnel, yep. and I don't think they're that far away. I think he deserved another year, and I think that he has a chance now to sort of make them pay by staying in, in the division. Yeah, and, you know, playing them twice a year at the Jets. Yeah, I think I, you have to wonder if he if he really is looking forward to that. I think my dolphin my dolphin fan friends down here are going to be very upset 
over the coming years when I think Gase is going to do really well with the Jets. He's got a good quarterback in Sam Darnold, and you can make a case that Darnold was better than Ryan Tannehill was when, when Gase first came along, and Gase is a good offensive mind, and I don't think the Jets are that far away either, and I think that you, you everything comes down to a quarterback and coach in this league, and yeah. if, Darn, if Darnold and Gase can get on the same page, they could they could make a run potentially in the next couple of years in the division because they're, they're a young, talented, upcoming team. Absolutely. All right, I'll, I'll get you out of here really quickly. I had one other question. Um, you, you just put up, I think, today, like a history of that 2006 uh, divisional round game against the Chargers. Yep. Uh, yep. Kind of an oral history. Um, I read it, saw the video on it. What was it like putting that together um, and, and sort of going through the history of that game? And I ask because I feel like in Patriots lore, there are so many games to talk about. And yep. that one doesn't get the attention I always thought it deserved. I think people forget. They think that the Patriots that we have now – you know, the and the from 07 going forward, we're always this just dominant force. They weren't that dominant no. in 06 at all. And it was the chart like the Chargers in 06 were what the Patriots are now, I think, at yeah. least for that season. Yeah. And that was a huge upset with the interception. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit, bit about what it was like to put that together and sort of why you chose to. Obviously, I know why you reflected on that game because they're playing the Chargers, but the idea that that game gets lost in history. Yeah, and I would fully agree with that. I mean, it's easy to forget non-Super Bowl games when they played in so many yeah. Super Bowl games over the years. But, and also, you know, they didn't make it to the Super Bowl that year. They lost the next week in the AFC Championship yep. game against the Colts. So I think that's part of the reason why it gets forgotten about. But that Chargers team was loaded. I mean, they were 14-2. Yes. and two. They had 11 Pro Bowlers that year. 11. Like, that's crazy. Were they 14-2? 14-2. Oh, Number I just said they were... I said I said they were twelve and four. I had the, so they were even better than I thought. <laughs> the Chargers were fourteen and two. The Patriots yeah. were twelve and four. Okay, okay, got it. So they were the number one seed. The Patriots were the number four seed. The Patriots just beat the Jets on wild card weekend, and they had to travel yep. out there to play the Chargers. And the Chargers had Zanian Thomason, who was one of the best running backs in the league then. Philip Rivers, that was his first playoffs, and he was still a talented player then. And they were loaded. They were stacked. They were expected to win the Super Bowl. And like you said, that was a crazy game. They're down 14 to three at the end of the first half. They're down by another. They're down by eight points in the fourth quarter. They scored after Brady threw an interception, where everybody thought the game was over. But on that same play, Troy Brown stripped Marlon McCree, and then they yeah. got the ball back. And then they went down and scored in that same possession. Kevin Falk converted on the two-point conversion. They stopped them on the next possession for a three and out. And then Guskowski kicked the game-winning field goal, his first real big kick. And then everybody remembers. Patriots, you know, doing the Sean Merriman lights out dance. Yeah. And that's, that, that was that, that was a really, that was a really good, exciting game. And that was really fun to put together this week. It's, it's interesting because these players that you talk to when they're playing, they, they don't really want to open up much, but then once they're retired and out of the game, they love to talk, they love to open up. And it was really, yeah. it was nice to talk to these players. Now they're out of the game and they really gave a lot of good insight on what happened Troy Brown especially went into full detail of what he was thinking on the strip play. Yeah. And the players talked about what the scene was like afterwards. And a lot of the Patriots guys, you know, liked, you know, the Sean Merriman dance. And it was interesting. I got a couple of chargers to talk as well. And yeah. they, they were, didn't feel disrespected at all by the dance. They, you know, they basically said, Hey, you, you beat us. So you can basically do whatever you want, which wasn't what, you know, LT and Merriman were saying at the time. So I thought that, that was interesting as well. It was just yeah. really nice to put together and get to talk to those players now that they're out of the game and they're more willing to open up. 
Yeah, and I know you tried to get in touch with Ellis, my uh, my co-host. He's missing in action. I think I'm actually might name this podcast episode the "Where Is Ellis" episode. Well, <laughs> um, well, all right, Ryan. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, as I told you before, we we started recording. I enjoy your work. For all my listeners, I urge you to read Ryan's stuff. You can find it at weei.com. Um, where else can they find you? Social media? What's your yeah? Where, social where? media, Twitter. Always on Twitter at yeah. Ryan Hannibal, just the first and last name, no dots or anything like that. Always yeah. updating stuff like that. And you know, as as you know, covering the Patriots, you're always gonna be alert for news and yeah. I always try I always try to be on top of it as much as I can. Um, so that that's where you can find all my stuff. Yeah, you definitely are. And I also urge everyone follow Ryan on Twitter during the game because you'll get some good insight. I know you're always you're posting the sets and how many plays, you know, you know, each player's playing, which is super helpful figuring out, you know, what Brady might be doing in the offense. So appreciate that as well. Um, last question. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen on Sunday? On- I like the Patriots and I, you know, I, I try, I've gone back and forth, but I've always come back to they're the Patriots and they're playing at home. They have Tom Brady, they have Bill Belichick, they have the, the cold, the weather in their favor. And, you know, they might not be as talented as the Chargers, but I think that Josh McDaniels can scheme some things up. He's one of the smartest offensive minds in the game. And I like the Patriots in a, a lowish scoring game, like 21-17, something like that. I think it's going to be close and it come down to the fourth quarter. It's not going to be one of those easy rollover games, but it should be a good one. And I do think the Patriots have enough to come out on top. And I know I said that was the last question, but I have one more. You think that they're going to Kansas City or you think the AFC Championship goes come, comes through New England? I, I knew you were going there. <laughs> Had to. I'm on, the, Had to. I'm on the Colts bandwagon. I'm yeah. on the Colts bandwagon. I like the way that they're playing. Um, I think that they, you know, the Chiefs are obviously a very talented team. They do a lot of good things on offense. I just think their defense is really suspect, and the way that the Colts are playing offensively right now could really expose that and put up a lot of points. Uh, I do have some questions with Mahomes playing his first playoff game. Um, yeah. I like the I like the Colts. All right, so hopefully maybe you and I are talking in a week, and it's AFC Championship week in New England, hopefully. A lot lot of storylines if it's Colts-Patriots. Oh, my God. The Flategate stuff, Daniel stuff, that'd be a a loaded week. And I saw your article today about the Colts are at it again, the hanging the 1-0 flag. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They'll never learn, huh? They will never learn. All right, listen, man, thanks a bunch for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you're driving, so drive safe. And, Not a uh, problem. Enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. All right. I want to thank Ryan for joining me on the show this evening. I know the life of a beat reporter can be pretty busy and hectic during a regular season that is, I'm sure, amplified during the playoffs. So it was great to have Ryan take out a little bit of time out of his day to do this with us. I think it's really interesting conversation, um, especially learning about how difficult it can be covering a team like the New England Patriots, hearing about how there's so many beat reporters, I think a lot more, probably the most of any NFL team, and how on some of the road games, there are more beat reporters for the Patriots than there are for the home teams. I talked about that in the intro. And also the difficulty because of the flow of information from the Patriots. We know that the front office doesn't really give up much. I think we've all heard Coach Belichick. I, for one, appreciate his press conferences. I'm sure Ryan does not. And, of course, the players who generally stick to the same script over and over again. 
thought it was also interesting about the challenges he's facing, not to have clickbait, using analytics to find a niche. So really appreciative. Would love to hear everybody's feedback on the show. You can tweet at me at Melkins31175. You can send me a direct message on Instagram at Melkins1. Or you could just go into iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave your feedback in the review. And also, if anybody has seen or heard from my co-host Ellis Hobbs, tell Ellis to get in touch with us. This is the Missing Ellis episode. Just kidding. I'm sure Ellis is doing fine. Take care, everybody. Keep listening and hit that subscribe button. And again, go Patriots.